This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. You know, they have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins in their library to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. corporate headquarters in southern New Hampshire, where we're feverishly watching CBS All Access to get in as much Star Trek discovery as we can before today's discussion. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. You're independent. No, we're not independent anymore. We're a network, baby. (laughs) The flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. Just a slip. I've been saying those things for so long that I just automatically fell back into it. But uh, more about that later. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. We welcome you to episode number 182 of Trek Geeks. Uh, it's going to be a great discussion today. We're back after a, uh, a brief week off. My uh, podcast partner was uh, driving all up and down the eastern seaboard, mm. and he has rejoined us today for this discussion. He is the, the largely uh, wandering and driving Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, you missed a left turn back there, buddy. 3,200 miles. Yeah. Oh, uh, with the back and forth from where we were in Orlando at Disney to my daughter's place and then back up the coast and up to Maine and then back to Merrimack. Yeah. Thirty two hundred miles left Thursday morning, got back Monday night. That. um, Yeah. But you, you stopped at, at Disney at least, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We're in Florida. If we're, you know, we crossed the border from Georgia to Florida. We're going to Disney. I mean, it's, you know, Orlando's not that close to the border. I'm just throwing that out there. Doesn't matter. It's close enough. <laughs> no, it's great to be here. Glad to be back. Thank you, everyone, for uh, um, being very gracious in the, in that week off and allowing me to drive down to pick up my daughter from college. Had a great drive with my wife, of course. Um, and and as you mentioned, Bill, at the beginning here, I'm a CBS show. Are you a CBS show? Uh, wait. <laughs> We get paid for that. <laughs> CBS All Access is the way to go, baby. Always watch CBS All Access. It's great. You know, it's, it's interesting. They have so they have a lot of stuff on there. Actually, they have um, tons of stuff on there. And for the record, we are not getting paid by CBS. Not or at all. CBS All Access. Um, we don't get free subscriptions. We pay for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's. Uh, I was watching Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan on CBS All Access. I didn't know they had Star Trek movies. There's all kinds of great stuff on CBS All Access. It's not just Star Trek. So you're when you're when you're watching CBS All Access, you're getting your money's worth because there's tons of stuff on there. Twilight Zone. Uh, 
Big Bang Theory, uh, all just and tons of library stuff, archive stuff, shows from the past. They, there's all kinds of. You could spend the whole day watching CBS All Access. I can't wait for the next iTunes review where people say we did nothing but talk about CBS All Access <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> all right. Well, so anyway, so what we're going to talk about today then? <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's good to be here, and because we talked about CBS All Access, because we're talking Discovery today, and we're going to talk specifically about a kind of important character on on Star Trek Discovery, wouldn't you say? But she's kind of important. She, this is yeah. the part where you normally tell us what the episode well, I, is. Oh, I was going to do that, but all you had to say is, yeah, she's really important, Dan. Yeah, she's really important, Dan. Absolutely, she is. She's Michael Burnham. She's the star of the show. Uh, Sonequa Martin-Green has done a fantastic job portraying this new Star Trek character, who is the prime character, <laughs> prime mirror, um, of the whole series. So we're going to deep dive into the character of Michael Burnham as we continue our celebration of the women of Star Trek. So this is going to be a great discussion and I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say about her. Uh, likewise. Now to clarify, there was a, there was one person who gave us feedback on Twitter thinking that we were going to have Sinequa Martin green on this episode of Trek geeks. Um, let us assure you that is not the case. Mm. Uh, all those types of interview requests have to go through CBS. And although we have made many requests, um, only one of them has come to fruition, and that was the interview with Mary Chifo. So uh, for those of you thinking that Sonequa was going to be on the podcast today, um, we're sorry. That was never the intent. Uh, this is always going to be a character discussion about Michael Burnham, and uh, we hope you enjoy that discussion. I, uh, I got to apologize. That was probably my fault. Either my inflection or my punctuation or my lack of understanding the English language may have brought that across <laughs> uh, in the way that it was not intended. So sorry about that. But at least you're listening, right? <laughs> <laughs> Dan, you know what I'd love to listen to right now is you telling people how they can get in touch with us to tell us how much of an idiot you are. Oh, that's oh God, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's very easy. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you will find a variety of ways to tell Bill or myself what an idiot I am. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can even click on that big blue giant button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends to talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping ever allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to see them first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part in a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. I got through the whole thing without screwing it up, so please remember that any comments or messages you use in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill, yes, finally, 182 episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention, and I was on mute. <laughs> That's okay. Um, did you finish reading it? Yeah, I didn't screw it up either. I don't believe that for a second. Oh, you're going to have to listen. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. 
for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It really sounds like you're saying Dan, 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 Dan. I'm not. I can, but I'm not. It's treknews.net. Dan is the best. No. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Just stick stick to the music. As you've got one job on this show, and you don't do it very well. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dan, uh, just a couple of stories today. First up, there is some news on the long-rumored Quentin Tarantino Trek movie possibility. And, um, well, this one ain't no effing surprise. Star Trek, mother Can you spell it? You better write that down. <laughs> yeah, Bill. Uh, the Kill Bill director recently revealed some new info on the project, which, according to him, is one step closer to actually becoming a reality. Uh, the director recently revealed that the script for the film exists and it has its fair share of four letter words. Not surprising. Quote, uh, Quentin uh, Tarantino says, quote, if I do it, it'll be R-rated. He said this during an interview with Empire. He also added that, quote, there's a script that exists for it now. I need to weigh in on it, but I haven't been able to do that yet, end quote. So um, it looks like um, things are percolating with this Quentin Tarantino project. Not sure how I feel about it yet, um, as we have discussed in the past, but uh, time will tell, buddy. Well, you know, uh, I just, I'm not excited by this. Has Star Trek had gore before? Yes. Has Star Trek had language before? Yes. None of it on the scale that Quentin Tarantino habitually introduces into his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not what I'm looking for in Star Trek. Um, I just It's not. I got to say, um, this story came out this week, and the other night I was actually flipping through the channels, and Family Guy was on, and it was a Quentin Tan- Tarantino-like directed scene, and the amount of blood and gore in just the Family Guy episode to try to show what Quentin Tarantino does was, like, off the charts. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> has there been gratuitous violence in Star Trek? Yes, there has. Yeah. I don't deny any of this. Nope. But the scale at which Quentin Tarantino does it, and the degree with which you can get away with it uh, showing the audience in film is a lot different than it is on television. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. So um, I don't necessarily need people stabbed through the eyeball and then seeing the eyeball staring back at us on the floor, like in kill bill. I don't need to see <laughs> buckets of blood or somebody having their ear taken off with it, with a switchblade, um, like in uh, reservoir dogs. I just, I don't need, I don't need that stuff. That's not what I want. I don't need gratuitous F bombs. Every other word. Um, like every Quentin Tarantino movie that's ever been made. Um, I like his films. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, I don't like all of them, but I mean, Kill Bill, I think is a fantastic movie. It's just not the kind of direction I want for Star Trek. If we get a Quentin Tarantino movie, chances are that we'll see Samuel L. Jackson in a Starfleet uniform, though. Uh, I'm not <laughs> counting that at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, we'll see what happens. It's, it's you know, with the with the Star Trek four. Uh, shelving, so to speak, taking place. This is kind of the only movie that's bubbling around the Star Trek universe right now, and and I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I can only imagine that uh, if there is indeed a merger again between CBS and Paramount, I see this not happening at all. Because I oh. don't think that CBS is going to let this happen to their brand, which they are going to great lengths to cultivate on television. Absolutely. And it looks like that merger is is going to happen based on news that came out this week. So, uh, 
yeah, that's yeah, we'll see. But you're right. They're not going to want to do anything that's going to tarnish the brand. And and I bet you there's a lot of people at CBS as well as in the general population that think this would be something that might not be right for this franchise. Indeed. So actually, speaking of cultivating Star Trek on television, Dan, uh, Alex Kurtzman gave a huge update to what's happening in the Star Trek world. And uh, he covered literally just about everything. He really did. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to go into details about the things he talked about, because I would recommend that everybody go and listen to this interview. Um, but uh, everything from Discovery Season 3 to Section 31 filming as soon as DSC 3 wraps up, plus all kinds of other stuff, Bill, like, oh, I don't know, some show called Picard and the fact that the story's going to, quote, honor the character updates to both animated series Lower Decks and the yet-to-be-named Nickelodeon show. Uh, and he even had a few things to say about some new short treks that we're going to be seeing. There's going to be six in all, and two of those are actually going to be animated, so that's kind of cool. All kinds of things discussed. So like I said, head on over to Deadline.com to listen to the interview with Mr. Kurtzman um, as he talks about all the exciting things happening. And one of the things that I will talk about, Bill, is he said, or he mentioned the fact that Pike... Spock and number one uh, are very popular with the, with the Star Trek population right now. And he didn't shoot down the possibility of seeing them again. Um, it's something that they are quote thinking about a lot. And that's kind of cool because we've been talking since season two of discovery about a Pike series. And after what we saw in the finale with the enterprise, I would, I would love to see that come to fruition. We figured they've already got the Enterprise Bridge and mm-hmm. some quarters. They could redress some of the Discovery stuff on a routine basis to shoot a season of uh, of Pike, mm-hmm. um, and then just dress it back for Discovery. I mean, so they have an entire ship built yeah. somewhere else. I think it's very possible to do. I um, I just uh, I keep hoping. Uh, maybe I think I think if there's going to be an announcement, it's going to happen after Picard season one. Right. I, I agree with that. You know, it, he did say he would be remiss to say that they're going to show up in Discovery again, which makes perfect sense based on how Discovery ended this past season. But uh, I mean, the the petitions out there, they are aware of the petition. He mentioned that. Um, so Star Trek has its ear to the ground. Um, the people over at CBS, I mean, have their ear to the ground, of course. And and um, if the popularity or the or the excitement for something that we saw with discovery and pike and the enterprise and everything if they're if they listen it's something that i think will happen because i am sure that based on what we saw with anson mountain and rebecca romaine and everybody else it would be kick-ass i don't disagree one bit i am um, uh, ultimately i mean the real takeaway here is that despite the um assertions and rumors from certain youtubers who here <laughs> will go you know, unnamed um, Alex Kurtzman, absolutely not fired <laughs> and absolutely not, uh, refusing to give up control of Star Trek. Um, there is a clear direction. He clearly is in command of the ship, if you will. And, uh, there's a reason why CBS's Star Trek people got moved to his production offices. It's because they are, are, are going to be producing Star Trek for a very long time. Yes, and it's just amazing the the ridiculousness that we see. We're not going to get into it, but yeah, it is going strong. It is going well, and we've got a lot more Star Trek to come. So that's always a good thing.
Dan, this is the time of the show where we love to talk about our friends at Fansets and thank them for sponsoring this week's episode. We love talking about Fansets pins every single week. And as STLV draws ever so much closer, we want to let everyone know about the amazing pins that will be coming out during the month of July, as well as at Star Trek Las Vegas itself. Now, one of the things that we've already talked about, um, in fact, this episode is is really kind of part of that discussion, uh, is the women of Star Trek and the collector set that fansets have, which will be available at Star Trek Las Vegas. This commemorative set of 10 pins will highlight the women who played such an important role in the Trek universe. And the first pin to be announced for this set is... Dun, dun, I I had, oh, there we go. <laughs> Dr. Beverly Crusher. It's a great looking pin, Dan. Complete with glitter. Glitter? Glitter. Oh, oh Dan loves glitter. <laughs> I have glitter on my golf costume, but I love glitter. Did Did you know that the second pin was announced just as we were setting up to record this morning? Well, let's tell them what it is because I did not look before we uh, jumped on here this morning. So what's number two? The second pin is <laughs> Lieutenant Uhura from the original series. Oh, baby. Glitter? Glitter. Glitter. <laughs> I love glitter. Um, I guess you could say that the folks at Fansets are really crushing it, Bill. Huh? <laughs> Get, cr- okay, anyway. Um, in addition to the awesome Women of Star Trek set, you can look forward to a bunch of pins, um, including the next pins in the Trek tech line, which will be the amazing TNG phaser rifle and the Klingon Batleth, Bill, Coolness, coolness and a half, yes. And another thing that we can look forward to uh, over the course of the coming weeks is an absolutely stunning pin. It is a Picard Locutus pin, where one half of the pin is Jean-Luc, and the other half is his Borgified self, Locutus. It just looks fantastic. Uh, Also, in the um, line of STLV exclusive poker chips uh, for STLV, that's going to have a, a the it's just going to be the third one or the fourth one. I think it's the third, third one. Third, third one. one. It is a piece of the action from TOS. It looks fantastic. I cannot wait to get my hands on that. All of these pins plus plus Bill, there's like 20 new pins coming out over the next uh, month and a half. The Discovery Season 2 line of pins will be coming out. Um, so start saving your quat loose people because you're going to want to spend them all at fansets.com. And of course, also, Dan, to let everyone know in the coming weeks, we're going to be hosting polls on Twitter and in Camp Kittimer, our official Facebook group, to tell us who your favorite guest female Trek character is. And Fansets is going to create a special Women of Trek pin for whomever receives the most votes. I think that's pretty exciting. The Star Trek fans themselves are going to get to direct part of this series. And uh, it's going to happen through us, which is fantastic. We're going to let you know when those polls are going to kick off. So keep in tune to our social media and uh, we'll absolutely let you know. In the meantime, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the code word Burnham at checkout. That's B-U-R-N-H-A-M. All capital letters, no spaces. And that code is going to be available until Tuesday, July 2nd, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Bill, we haven't had somebody on the show recently, have we? 
No, we, we really haven't. And, you know, usually we like to bring somebody on and talk for like an hour. But I figured for this one, he doesn't need an hour. He only needs a few minutes because he's like super guest. So uh, I'll let you do the honors. And then uh, we got some pretty cool news that we're going to talk about. Well, it's this, uh, don't bury the lead, Dan. I mean, you know, um, way to go. You're really great at this. I'm glad we, we scripted this out. Math is hard. Uh, <laughs> math is hard. No, it is, it is our honor and privilege to welcome somebody whose name you practically take in vain at the end of every podcast, the beautiful and vivacious Andy Fark. He, the drummer of Five Year Mission. Fark, it's good to have you here, buddy. He, the drummer of Five Year Mission. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's me. Hey, kids, what's going on? He does vocals too, Bill. That, well, he does. He does. He does. He does do vocals. He screams very well. And he's got the best video yeah, because there's like five of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, well, I mean, I mean, that's that, that's kind of a nightmare scenario. It's like five of me anywhere. So <laughs> tell us. We know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when last you were on, we you, we did a see it or skip it, and. um People love the theater skip. It's something we got a lot of great feedback when you were on that people loved to hear you and hear the way you interact with us. And we are, are happy to announce to the general public that you are going to be bringing your dulcet tones along perhaps with some other folks to the Trek Geeks Network with your own podcast. Way to let the cat out of the bag on that one. Well, I'm I'm all about getting right to the right to business. Just ask. Oh, Dan. when I when I do it, I get yelled at. But when you do it, you're just getting right down to business. Well, it's because I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it is. Not because you're like the the, the executive producer of this, right? So uh, let me let me give it a shot, Fark, and let's see. What yeah, we're doing. let's do this. Well, yeah. So, you know, as Bill yeah. said, you know, you've been on the show. We people love listening to you, and we figured we'd bring you on the show because if the rumors are correct. You've got a b- pretty big announcement to share with all of our listeners right now on the Trek Geeks podcast. Well, that is right. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Um, it's been kind of in the works, uh, but we are bringing the five year mission podcast to the Trek Geeks network coming soon. We are, we are so excited by this. Well, Dan really set you up really great for that. I suck at this. Yeah, you do. Oh, absolutely. I'm just throwing that out there. So, so a five-year mission podcast, something we're very excited by. I mean, people have been telling us, you know, for, for four years now that they love hearing your music on the show. What might we see in a five-year mission podcast? See, your guess is as good as mine so far. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's honest. I like that. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, at least I'm being upfront with it. I mean, like you're going to see, you're going to see honesty mm-hmm. within the Five Year Mission podcast. But first and foremost, <laughs> uh, we're actually uh, we are getting together this week and we are mapping out the first four episodes, uh, trying to get a feel uh, as to exactly what we are going to be doing with the podcast. Obviously, we're going to be featuring, you know, what we're up to in the studio now and then, but mainly it's going to be a discussion about Star Trek in general, whether it be TOS, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, probably not Voyager. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're looking to get some, get some interviews. We go around and play conventions and things like that. So uh, hopefully sit down with some of the Trek alum friends that we've made along the way. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much what we're going to be discussing all this week. Leading and leading up to the first recording, which we're probably going to be doing here within the next two weeks. 
This is so fantastic. I mean, you know, we we talked about this, you know, really briefly a long time ago. And then all of a sudden, I'd say in the course of 48 hours, it's really just sort of come together. Um, are you prepared now to do Danisms during the five-year mission podcast? The world wants to know. Oh, I'm, I've already come up with like six or seven <laughs> in, in the pocket ready to go. Nice. I was actually thinking, Fark, that one of your first episodes to really get the show off with a bang like a rocket is maybe you get the band to be doing some like dramatic riff behind you and you just read all 170 something Farkisms that I've done over the last <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, you're going to have to make like a spreadsheet and send it to me because I have, to, I have, I have not, as, as, much as, as much as you want me to cement those into my memory, I have not memorized all of the Farkisms. I have oh. all of them in a spreadsheet. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh God. Well, then we will definitely have to do a full episode of me doing dramatic readings of the Farkisms then. It's got to be like 60s beat poetry too, which I, I think would be oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be absolutely like a kind of like like sp- spoken word, like a whole like like a, like a like a Gil Scott Heron type thing. I love it. I love it. It's um, we are overjoyed to have you and the guys coming to the network with your own podcast. Um, it's it's been a relationship that we have absolutely loved, and we've been so grateful to you guys for so long. And and now to make you guys part of, of, of Trek Geeks just is a natural extension. And it's something that we couldn't be more proud of, man. We are, we are so psyched that you guys are doing this and we can't wait to hear what you've got. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what we've got too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dan is nothing. Yeah, Dan I got nothing. I mean, how can I, how can, I mean, we might as well just go off the airways now, buddy, because we got Fark and the team coming on with their own show. I don't know if you know this, but podcasts aren't actually on airwaves dan it's a figure of speech you dummy (laughs) (laughs) so so fark while you're here do you guys have some any shows upcoming or 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 what's what are you Uh, doing in the yeah july uh july 28th and 29th uh we are going to be playing uh in detroit uh at the henry ford museum Oh, very cool! Yeah, because uh, because of the, the the traveling uh, Star Trek exploring new yes. worlds exhibit, which, as many listeners might know, uh, we are actually a permanent part of the traveling exhibit that started started at the Museum of of, of, of Pop Culture in Seattle. Uh, recently, just a few months ago, it was here in Indianapolis at the Children's Museum for its stand here, and we play the opening day of that. Uh, now it's moving; it has moved on to Detroit to the Henry Ford Museum. And we are going to be part of uh, the Detroit Maker Fair, uh, which is a whole weekend-long event, STEM events, science events. Um, but then everything, the entire weekend, is being hosted by Mr. LeVar Burton from Star Trek Next Generation. Wow. Awesome. So, yeah, wow. we're playing two days in a row up there, Saturday and Sunday, for both days of the, of the fair. And fans in the UK and Ireland and, and those people who have yet to see the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, will have a special treat as they listen to the end credits. That's right. We, uh, the band, actually all went together on opening night to the theater. And uh, our version of the Deep Space Nine theme is, uh, is, is actually being played over the end credits. Uh, so basically, little little tidbit uh stick around for the end credits once you once everything drops in we start playing and then it's and then it then our song cuts off because ira 
pops back on the screen and just interrupts our song. God, so I, don't, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what his deal is, but it works. <laughs> what a prima donna! I mean, my God. <laughs> I know. I mean, this. I, I think. I think. I think the beard dye may have like damaged some brain cells. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I. Um, that that is fantastic. You guys are, are are always the best. You know, as we tell everybody, we guarantee they'll become big fans, and we can't wait for them all to become big fans of your podcast debuting soon in the near future on the Trek Geeks Network. Soon-ish. Soon-ish. Yeah, we're thinking probably mid to late June, uh, mid to late August. Nice. More than likely. So Excellent. sometime, sometime after STLV, because unfortunately we are not there again this year. Uh, uh, but basically you guys are going to be there spreading the gospel that we are going to be coming to the, the Trek Geeks Network. And so then that'll kind of leave them, uh, biting their nails in anticipation for the premiere date. Yes. Well, of course, we'll have plenty of updates on our social media and there'll be updates on your social media and uh, mm-hmm. people are going to be sick of, of us talking about you and they'll be, they'll be ready to hear about you. Um, if there's well, any way be sick of us talking about ourselves, I know. Is it possible I could work in a trade, perhaps one or two of the guys for Dan? Um, he can play cowbell. Wow! I mean, what? Uh, we only, I mean, we only really have one song with Cowbell, and I pretty much have that covered. Okay, all right. So, so that's a, a hard no, is what you're saying. I wouldn't say a hard no. More like, uh, more like an an unbreakable, stronger than concrete, diamond <laughs> style hard no. You know, I'm still here. Listening. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry. I thought I, I I I thought I heard you sign off the call. I'm sorry. That would be yeah, Dan. Come on, come on down to Indy. We'll we'll hand you uh, another cease and desist. I don't know. Can I bring okay. my Patriots trophies with me? Oh, ooh. Uh, you wait. You're, you just go ahead and wait until until this year, buddy. Number yeah. three linebacker in his second year in the NFL and Darius Leonard is going to be coming after Tom Brady in what is going to be proved to be his final season in the NFL. Wow, that's a that's a lead pipe lock prediction from oh, oh. Andy Fark here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Well, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that the Indianapolis Colts were going to win the Super Bowl yet. All I'm saying is that Tom Brady needs to be getting some Charmin ready for the amount of times he's going to poop his pants being Darius Leonard coming after him. <laughs> and so is Dan, because that's what he's doing right now. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the quality level we bring to the Trek Geeks Network. You know, we may be the flagship, yeah. but uh, we are a bit of a garbage scout. We're not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, wait until the five-year mission podcast comes out. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's it's a low bar. You know, you guys don't have to, yeah. to, to drift much higher to be better than us. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll still, I'll still be doing some stretches before we get, like, get, get on the, get on the airwaves there. <laughs> Fark, where can people stalk you on social media? Me personally? Uh, uh, or the band, you, whichever. Yeah. You can, uh, don't go to my Facebook unless, uh, you are, uh, willing to not get a friend request accepted. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Fark. Uh, you can follow the band on Twitter at Five Year Mission. That's the number five year mission. Same uh, same goes for the Instagram handle. Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's a bunch of goofy stuff. Uh, I am at the Farkness. 
Awesome, man. Well, we look forward to uh, to hearing more from you and all the guys. And uh, as always, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for all you contribute to Trek Geeks and uh, all the best, buddy. All right. We'll be seeing you guys here soon uh, on the web. Oh, yeah. All I got to say is <laughs> I'm going to start spreading the news. Fark's coming to stay. Uh, I want to be exactly. a part of it. A Fark of Trek Geeks Network. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take either of you. This call's over. <laughs> Dan, as we move into the main body of content for this week, we want to talk a little bit about the women of Star Trek and probably one of the the newest and most integral entries in, in that character database for the women of Star Trek, at least on the in the fictional realm, is a uh, is probably Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery. I mean, granted, like we said, she is the newest, but um there is something very interesting she adds to the tapestry of star trek and i thought it was a good time to consider that character as we're in between seasons if you will yeah absolutely uh, uh, the whole idea of this character really is, is something that piqued my or, or sparked my interest when when the show was announced i mean the thing that was was interesting about this character is we were going to have a new star trek series coming out with discovery and for the really for the first time in star trek history the main character and the character that the show is kind of centered around was not going to be a captain. And right off the bat, I found that to be a very interesting uh, detail about the show. Uh, we didn't really know much about her, um, but just that she was going to be a, 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 an officer who didn't hold the rank of captain. So that was the thing that really was interesting to me at first. And of course, as we, as the show started and as we got to know these characters, just the whole, the whole, Burnham, I don't know, uh, I didn't even know the word to, to describe how this character has been built up over the course of two seasons to what we know of her today has really been fun to watch. No, I have to agree with you there. I mean, you think about it, all of the other Star Treks have largely been ensemble casts. You could make the argument that the original series is not because Shatner was the star mm -hmm. and Nimoy um, and, and Kelly were... You know, sort of like a uh, second tier stars and then everybody else was, was supporting. But ultimately we think of it as an ensemble, especially as we, it's, it got into the films. Um, it was the original series cast and not just William Shatner is back. So really this is the first Star Trek that is centered around a single character. And I think that this is a definite sea change that it's taken fans a bit of time to get used to. Uh, the, the fact that it is this person's journey. Um, Deep Space Nine was still an ensemble piece, although it was still very much the story of Benjamin Sisko. But this one definitely is, well, I think it's named Discovery quite aptly because it's not just about discovering what's out there. It's about Michael Burnham's discovery of her own humanity, especially having been raised by Vulcans. Um, yes. And this is this is new territory for her. Um, it, it's It's an emotional journey. And I think that, especially in season two, there was a lot of criticism out there that she cried pretty much every episode 
And I think the thing that bothered me about that criticism is that this is a human being that doesn't know how to human. You know, this is somebody who hasn't had to deal with these emotions because they've repressed them for so long. And so they probably manifest themselves in ways that even the character probably doesn't expect. I agree with you. And one of the things I think we should probably say before we continue on, just to be safe, is we may talk about things with with Discovery um, that could be considered spoilers, but the season's been over for a long time. So if if we say something you haven't seen yet, sorry, it's been been a while. Go go check it out. But I I was one of the people that actually criticized that a little bit, Bill, um, when we were talking about it over on Discovering Trek. And, And I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, from time to time, I would I would look at my wife when we're watching. I'm like, okay, she's got a space battle going on everywhere around her, and she's standing in front of the shuttlecraft, talking to Spock and crying. Okay, that that that's that doesn't look like the right spot. But I totally agree with what you're saying now in terms of she she's never dealt with this kind of emotion before because she was raised by Vulcans. So so you know sometimes you can't control what happens when you're not used to it happening. So one of the things that I did want to talk about as I get off of that soapbox is I think for me, this character is the most um, structured character in that we have never s- learned of a backstory of a character in Star Trek to this level of detail that we have with Michael. Um, and I really like that aspect of the show. We see everything from when she was a little kid up to, up to, up to right now. And I think that's great. We know a lot of backstory about Cisco and we know a lot of backstory about Picard and, and all these other characters, but not to this level of detail that we've seen parts of her life that we see with discovery. And I think that's a tribute to the, uh, to the writers of the show to be able to give us that, background to grab onto the character and like her even more. You know, one of the things that first impressed me about Michael Burnham uh, happens right in the pilot for Star Trek Discovery, you know, in the Vulcan Hello, um, uh, the first scene on the planet with Giorgio, and then when she uh, is transported up to the Shenzhou, how she interacts as the first officer of that vessel. You know, you can tell that, that, that she's effective at her job. She's good at what she does. And that she's a sound voice for the captain to to listen to. Um, I, I, I immediately Michael Burnham struck me as one of those characters that that just is. I hate using this phrase, but it's the only one that applies. So Star Trek, um, it, it's a character that is well crafted and fits the universe. And I, I think I would have loved to have seen more of that first officer Michael Burnham aboard the Shenzhou because I really think that that's that's an element of that character's life that, that I think would have been really great storytelling. One of the things that I would have liked to have seen in addition to her as first officer, as we saw when she first arrived on the Shenzo and she was Vulcan, she acted Vulcan, she talked Vulcan, she was logical, no emotion. And then we jump forward to the first episode of discovery where things happen and, and she quote unquote mutinies, which I never really agreed with, but I would like to see that, stoic non-emotional person which eventually gets to the point where we see her in discovery we see a glimpse of it when she's in the spacesuit and she's having fun as Giorgio puts it but i would like to see that what was it eight years i think that she came on board the shenzhou i think and, so yeah and then was uh in in episode one of season one i think that that would be a, a really great way to see how she evolved because some people have said 
um, that she was raised Vulcan and then all of a sudden, boom, in episode one of Discovery, she becomes human and does all these things that a Vulcan would never do. So I would like to see that evolution, so to speak, of the character going from quasi-Vulcan to her human self. I, I can appreciate that. I mean, on some level, I think it's a discussion of nature versus nurture. You know, at the end of the day, she's still human. She's going to do what humans do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps in the most trying of circumstances, especially without that that influence of of, of Sarek directly around her or, or perhaps other Vulcans. Or maybe in even Amanda's guiding hand. You know, maybe Amanda had more of a role in helping her keep that humanity than we realize. But at the end of the day, when, when pressed with that choice, she chose the human one. And that's what took her from first officer to, like you said, mutineer, even though I don't like the term. Um, it is essentially what happened. She made the most human of decisions in that moment to try to incapacitate Philippa Giorgio and essentially start the war with the Klingons, which, let's be honest, would have destroyed the Shenzhou. Yep. Um, yes, it, it, it would have sacrificed that ship and everybody aboard it. And then there would never have been a Star Trek discovery. Right. Oh, but there's not a discovery bill. It's not even real. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. And, and let's be honest, the war was going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Michael and Burnham was, didn't start that war. Absolutely not. No matter what happened in that, in that moment, um, the Klingons were hell bent and Tukuba was going to do it no matter what. So, um, that whole argument is something that people can just throw out the window. The war was going to happen. Michael did not start the war. So I got to tell you is, is a sidebar. So I was driving down the road yesterday, listening to Trek profiles and our good friend Shishan Kavaru was the guest and John Krikorian is, is talking about Worf and Klingons and he drops a Keelish and I just about, <laughs> I just about drove off the road. So when you did a Takuma just now, I, I, it brought that to mind. We got to throw so, that stuff in. Yeah, oh, no, that's staying in totally. Um, and I totally lost where I was going with this because that's I just okay. had a funny story. Uh, uh, math is hard. Math is hard. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate that at the end of the day, Michael is who she is, you know. Right. And I think it was in that moment that she realized that. Well, what's the uh, what's the old Vedra line? Is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? Oh, um, nice. Thank you. Nice uh, she realizes that that is who she is and that this emotion, these emotions are things that she needs to learn to deal with. As Vulcan is, as she thinks her, her methodology and her philosophy is, there are just some things she can't, um, can't escape. And her humanity is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, what's made this such a difficult journey for her. Um, I, I think that her, uh, we're going to call it the mutiny for now because it's it's really what the accepted term is, even though that uh, that's it's not my favorite. Right. And, of course, there had never been a mutiny on a Starfleet vessel. Um, did I say that out loud? I didn't hear anything. Um, it, it's interesting that she thought she was doing it to try to save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because she didn't see the whole picture because of her emotion. Or because she genuinely thought that this was going to save them, like this would cause the Klingons to stand down. I don't think she realized how radicalized Takuvma was. Exactly. I mean, she was doing it based on what happened, I don't know how many years prior it was with the Vulcans when they did similarly the same thing and helped prevent a battle. These people were not going to act in any way like the past Klingons had. I mean, Takuvma had his his, um, agenda. It was going to happen no matter what. I can understand 
her thinking about doing it that way. But at the same time, as someone who used logic and, and non-emotion like she did, whether it was to do it or to hide her, her feelings coming out, she should, I think she should have known based on what was happening around her, that that was not going to solve the problem, but it is what it is. You know, I, I have to think that one of my favorite Michael Burnham moments from the pilot is when uh, she puts on the EV suit and she's getting ready to go investigate whatever the thing is they can't see. And the afterburner kicks in and she starts laughing. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, all the credit in the world to Sonequa Martin-Green. I mean, that just, it, it's a moment that plays as the genuine excitement and thrill of what is happening right now that that just touches that emotion and causes that response. You can't help but smile from ear to ear because you have to imagine yourself in the same position going, yeah, I would absolutely do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to wonder, is this something that would have happened earlier? Um, you know, a couple of years after being on the Shenzo, which I say, no, she's, she's in, like I said it before, Giorgio says she's having fun. She probably doesn't get to have fun very much because I kind of I kind of look at the character at the beginning is she's kind of like Spock in that she's hiding her humanity with her her attempts to portray herself as Vulcan. Um, not so much that she is Vulcan and I, I don't even know does she believe that the way that she was raised is the, the right way so she was going to act like that or was she kind of doing it just to kind of hide the fact of her humanity and she may be thinking and feeling things that she doesn't want other people to see because based on her raising, that would be considered wrong to do so. Well, and can you imagine what a toll that takes on someone? Oh yeah. To, to repress and hide their, their emotions. So somebody who's not Vulcan, I mean, let's just assume we're just talking about average, average human. You know, when we swallow those emotions and we internalize them, eventually they come out somehow. And they don't always come out in, in in the best of ways. And I think that um, that that had to be exhausting yeah. for her. Her whole you life. Know, her whole life. You know, yeah. she's what? She's, she's probably 30 by the time we meet her. Um, maybe a little younger. Um, to, to hold all that in since childhood or, or to really not have an outlet for that. And you figure that laugh is really an outlet for that emotion. It makes me wonder what other kind of struggles she had been through because of her emotion. Because we know Spock went through them for a fact. Right. Absolutely. I think she, let's see, she was born 2226, according to uh, our friends over at Memory Alpha. And she had a conversation with Admiral Cornwell in 2257. So math is hard, but 26 and 26, she's 25. I think he's 25. There we go. Math is hard. I, I just, you, you said, you know, you think she's 30. I wanted to check. So, you know, fact finder here at the Trek Geeks podcast. I don't, uh, that ma- I think that math is, uh, your math is correct. I think the dates are off. All right. Well, um, because there's no way she'd make commander in eight years. If she's 25, it means eight years ago, she would have boarded the Shenzhou when she was 17. Oh yeah. That's not right. That's not yeah. right. No, that's not right. Um, speaking of her Vulcanness, I want to talk about one thing very quickly. One of the things that I think is my favorite moment in season one, mm. and it's more than one moment is when she's in Sarek's mind and reliving the events at the Vulcan science Academy, her portrayal as a Vulcan in that episode with the hairstyle and the posture and the, and the costuming is absolutely brilliant and I love it. It's like when she beams onto the Shenzhou, how she acts. I think those moments are beautifully acted by Sinequa trying to be as Vulcan as possible. I just love those. Just wanted to bring that up. 
No, I have to agree with you. Uh, I like I like that. I like the entire episode, Lethe, the one that was uh, co-written by Ted Sullivan and Joe mm-hmm. Minoski. Yes. Um, because of uh, of the way Burnham gets to challenge Sarek uh, in his mind. Good fight scenes. Uh, great fights. Well, great, uh, great fight Everything. scenes, great conflict, great revelations. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. it's, it's one of those episodes, like a lot of the Joe Minoski, uh, contributions that is a little outside the box. Um, but I've really grown to love that episode for what it, it does for both characters. Um, I think that Michael gets the ultimate expression or the ultimate, uh, overflow of emotion when she realizes that she can't retrieve Giorgio's body. Um, it's a moment that she's ill prepared for. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that she's never experienced that kind of loss for the last eight years. She's put her, 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 her belief and her faith in, in Philippa Giorgio and Philippa Giorgio has taught her everything she knows about Starfleet. And not only did she mutiny against this woman and let her down, but ultimately, um, the mission got Giorgio killed. And that's a lot of guilt and shame to carry around for somebody who is not used to dealing with emotion. Absolutely. And and I think that the most emotional moments in Burnham's life that we see during uh, the first season and a half anyway of, uh, of discovery deals with Giorgio specifically that scene, the, the raw emotion when, when they beam back off the ship and she, she can't grab Giorgio. She's not going to be able to get her body. Then Giorgio's hollow will um, in her quarters when she gives her the telescope. Uh, that's a very strong moment. And then the emotions that you see her dealing with, whether good emotions or bad emotions, it's kind of in conflict a lot of the time when dealing with Mirror Giorgio. All of these moments really show the bond that she had with the captain. And it's something that I would somehow love to see more and more of. Uh, whether we will or not is another question, but uh, I thought that, that that that's a perfect example of her dealing with emotions when she had never really had the ability or desire to actually do that in the past. So to clarify, Michael Burnham is 30 at the beginning of Star Trek Discovery and in, right. in, uh, in the Vulcan Hello. Um, that uh, It is established in Burnham's log that it is 2256. Okay. And she was born in 2226. So that's 30. 30. Okay. Um, so for those people who have already tweeted us or Facebook commented us, um, we got yeah. there. Math is hard. We got there. Math is hard. My bad. <laughs> no, it's not your bad. I mean, uh, <laughs> memory alpha is a wiki and people can update it. Well, no, it's wrong because I'm wrong because when I did my math, I did it wrong. Oh, so you should just shut up then. Okay. <laughs> I can admit my mistakes, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael then becomes a, a prisoner um, of Starfleet and has pretty much resigned herself to uh, almost being Vulcan-like again. There's nothing to be, there's no joy. She's killed her captain. She started a war. Other lives are being lost in her mind because of her, mm-hmm. even though again, spoiler alert, it wasn't really because of her. Right. Um, and then she's left with the really uneasy place of being aboard a starship again, all because of one person's grand plan. Who's that? I know. Right. <laughs> and then she has to face Saru. Oh yeah. Which is probably one of the most uncomfortable interchanges in the whole of first season of discovery. Um, that, that moment where they meet again and it's like, Oh boy. Yeah. Or where she sees Detmer in the mess hall for mm-hmm. the first time. 
mm-hmm. and uh, context is for kings. It's uh, you see the look on people's faces like, oh, you, it's it's you, <laughs> yeah. And she gets to experience a whole new level of of guilt and shame on top of everything else. Well, just look at the um, the first interaction she has with Tilly in their quarters. Yeah, Michael, I've never heard someone got Michael before. What are you, the mutineer? <laughs> oh, you oh. are the mutineer. <laughs> I mean, just the you know you you know that she's going to feel those, you know, she's going to get those kind of reactions from people. Everybody blames her for what happened with the war with the Klingons. And so that's kind of expected, but expected from strangers. She probably felt that she was never going to see all of those people again, especially Saru. The relationship they had was one that was like a, a McCoy and Spock type of relationship with the constant jabs, but they had the mutual respect. Then the captain's killed, and Saru blames her for the killing of Georgiou. So that first moment where they're talking, and he literally says, you killed my captain. Yeah, that probably didn't feel too good for her, and it probably made her feel a little awkward in the room. Yeah, and that's Saru's emotion coming to bear, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's still very angry, and, and Michael has to learn how to deal with that anger. Um, yeah. It's not something, uh, like, we, like we've been saying all along, it's not something she's used to. But she spends the whole of season one getting exposed to and feeling things she's never felt before. I mean, the magic to make the sanest man go mad, Burnham tells Stamets that she's never been in love. Right. And that's a, that's a bit of a heartbreaking moment. You mm-hmm. know, that's all really, I mean, that's what humans crave. You know, we, we want that acceptance. We want that love on as a large, you know, species statement. I'm not, you know, I'm trying not to generalize, but it's, it's sure. usually true about humans. And then she finds love. And in an unexpected place. And along with that love, she experiences vast betrayal. Absolutely. And it's it's an incredible series of events for somebody who was just trying to do the right thing. It makes you think that it's surprising she didn't at some point after that betrayal scream out, this is why I don't want to be human. Because yeah. she has to deal with that peak of happiness with love and then that valley of that betrayal that takes place. And, and this is emotions are new to her quote unquote. And that's something that kind of is, I've always had trouble with people not understanding is Vulcans have emotion. They, they have them, they just repress them. So for her to never say she's loved before kind of is like her own choice when you think about it yeah. because of the way she was raised. So, but yeah, absolutely. She found it in the oddest of places. Um, and with the oddest of characters, considering that he was two, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then to have that portrayal and 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 see things that took place in the mirror universe when when everything came about of 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 what Ash was like, it was great. It was it was a great, and that's the thing that's great about Discovery is we have a centric character, but we also get to see everything going on around her, but it all comes back to her. So we get to see those reactions from her when these big things happen. And, and that's one of the things that I love about the storyline with discovery. Well, it's one of the things I love about Burnham in general. Um, She has all of these things going on yet still manages somehow to do what's required for the safety of the crew and the vessel. Yeah, that was what she was trying to do all along, even aboard the Shenzhou. But, you know, throughout season one of Discovery, she's, you know, uh, constantly against the odds trying to uh, essentially get the ship out of there. And that's a generic term because they're either trying to get out of uh, the war or battle or the mirror universe or <laughs> you name it. 
Um, but she's the one who has these, these tasks put upon her and she has to get them done. Um, for me, one of the most telling scenes of who Burnham is, is when Ash Tyler has his breakdown aboard the Klingon sarcophagus ship. Um, because she realizes at that point, she, it's all on her. She's alone. Yeah. She's got a wounded admiral. She's got. Um, uh, a Klingon or a, a Starfleet agent experiencing PTSD because at the time he doesn't yet quite know he's Klingon, but he does. Mm-hmm. And she, she's got to put this on her back and, and get it done or else they're all going to die. In some way, she kind of re- reminds me of Jack from lost is she's, she's the one that has to bear the weight of the world on her shoulders all the time. Um, she does it with what she decides to do in the first episode. She realizes that she's the only one who can do anything uh, on that on that episode uh, with with Ash and and the wounded admiral. And it's kind of like, and 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 we see Spock kind of tease her or or rib her about that in season two about oh she's oh, she has she has to take this all on herself. She has to be the one to take on all these problems. And I can't say that's not true. Um, because she hmm. does, whether she wants to or whether it's forced on her, I kind of think it's for, it, she wants to um, so on several occasions. And the one that you just talked about is is one that was actually forced on her. But still, she's always seems to be the one who gets everything dumped on her. She's the tech support of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a minute about Burnham and Spock. I mean, I think a lot of us were unsure as to how that was going to go down before the start of season two. Right. It's like, you know, it's like, all right, have they, have they created a situation where this is going to seem not believable? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer to that is no, I think it was, I think it was done incredibly well. I believe that these two characters have shared a relationship and I can believe that Spock never talks about her because Spock just doesn't talk about stuff. Not unless it's absolutely necessary and journey to Babel. I'm talking to you. Yes. Um, uh, but I, I appreciated the way that they tried to fill in the gaps for both of these characters and tying them together without making it um, so unbelievable that people just weren't going to take it seriously. They seemed like a brother and sister. They seemed like an estranged brother and sister mm-hmm. that were trying to find their way back together. And ultimately they did. And I thought that it was a resolution or a journey and a resolution that was incredible and realistic. I think so too. I was concerned about how they were going to do everything with the the uh, Spock Michael relationship. Um, being able to show those flashbacks of of what she did to cause that rift between the two of them. Well, at times I was kind of thinking, "All right, they're kids; these things happen. Is it really something that should affect them the rest of their lives?" That was a question mark for me, but it is what it is. But going forward, the time on Talos four and the very uncomfortable situations between the two of them and Spock obviously did not want to have anything to do with her still because of what had happened. But that progress that they made to the point at the end of the season where they were very much, um, um, back to that relationship that they had when they were kids where they where they had the love for each other and Spock actually says it in Vulcan which you never would expect to hear in no. a thousand years um a thousand years get it see I yeah. did that on purpose yeah, I think um, did. yeah um and I got to say in addition I've said it before the writing was fantastic to do that storyline 
but it would not have been as effective if not for the brilliant acting of Sonequa and Ethan Peck, especially at the end of season two of Discovery. Well, and let's stop here and checkpoint. You know, I can't imagine anybody else playing Michael Burnham other than Sonequa Martin-Green. She has a grace and an effortless quality in portraying this character that I, I look up at the screen and I don't see Sasha from The Walking Dead. I don't see Sinico Martin-Green. I see Michael Burnham. Um, I, she is she is so wonderful in this role, and she is such a wonderful addition to our Star Trek family. Um, it, meeting her briefly in person at STLV last year was probably one of the highlights of the convention, simply just because yeah. of how genuinely and, and gr- graciously she, she greets every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that that's the person who is inhabiting this role uh, makes it even more of an impressive transformation for me. Um, because this is, this is by all accounts, everything we've discussed today, this is not an easy character. There is a lot here, a lot of complexities, a lot lot of complexities. And, uh, some people can say, well, Burnham cries too much or Burnham does too much of this, but I can imagine at the end of a day playing this character, Sonequa Martin-Green has to just be exhausted. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see what it's like behind the scenes for rehearsals and and how much she actually puts into just the rehearsals. Um, or does she force herself during the actual filming to really just put it all out there for everybody? Uh, but yeah, I, people say, oh, acting off actors, they make so much money and all they do is sit in front of the TV for a camera for an hour and do a character. There's a lot more to it. Um, uh, not even, ju- and I'm talking just the emotional and the mindset that you have to have for a character, let alone the physical training for battle scene or fight scenes and, and stuff like that. And making sure that everybody's on the same page when the cameras roll. I, I got to admit, I, I, I really liked the character of Sasha during the walking dead um, when she was on that show. So when we heard that she was going to be the um, main character in discovery, I was very excited because I know or knew what, what Sonequa brought to her roles that she played. And I thought she did a great job on, on walking dead. So yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, I think she's taken it up a couple notches from when she was on walking dead to this uh, um, portrayal of of Michael Burnham, and is that because she's the star of the show, or is it just because she understands the importance of Star Trek to so many people, or a combination of different things? But whatever it is, Sonique was doing it, yo. She's doing a great job. You know, we've often heard people say that you know being at the top of the call sheet is a responsibility, and you set the tone for the show. Um, and, you, know, you kind of are the lead of that company of actors. And I, she's, I can think of no better person to be at the top of the call sheet. Um, she clearly has approached this, you know, knowing that her fellow castmates um, uh, have to rely on every performance she gives. And every performance that she's given has been fantastic. Um, we may not have always agreed with the things that the character has done um, as far as the writing, but uh, performance wise, like you said, she she truly is knocking this out of the park every single time she she steps up to the mark. So um, I, I love Sinequa Martin-Green. I want to see as much Michael Burnham as possible because the performance is so fantastic. And, uh, and Sinequa is just a delight. She truly is. Here's one so. other th- example of, of that yeah. performance. 
Um, and it's it's not a huge one in terms of of well, it's huge in, in terms of what happened. But it's okay. It's just it's just acting. Some people say her death scene, quote unquote, on that planet where she was suffocating. That was oh. That was just brutal to watch, and it was because of the way that she did it. It was just amazing. And so talk about exhausting. I was exhausted just watching that scene. So I totally agree with what you're saying, Bill. Nobody else could play Burnham. And we kind of say that for all of the characters that we've talked about over the course of the podcast. Nobody could have played Odo other than Renee, or nobody could have played this person. But it's true, and it totally is true with the character of Michael Burnham. I can't imagine what anybody else playing this character would have brought to it. Um, so, you know, they casted correctly, that's for sure, in this one. So back to Burnham herself, and, you know, she is, um, at her core, she's Starfleet. So let's talk about her Starfleet credentials to some extent. And I guess I'm going to pose a question to you. I mean, does Michael Burnham represent what we hope for in a Starfleet officer? My answer might surprise you, but yeah. I'm going to say no. Okay. Why? Not yet. Because we see her take matters into her own hands, and Starfleet officers aren't supposed to do that, whether it's right or wrong. Um, to do what she did uh, a George, for, uh, against Giorgio, um, she believed it was the right course of action, but Starfleet believes in the proper line of command and things are done a certain way. So she kind of takes things into her own hand on into her own hands on more than one occasion. And that's not really something that I look for in a Starfleet officer. Starfleet officer would give the, uh, would give her side of the reason as to why this course of action might be the best thing to do. But if the commanding officer decides against that Starfleet officer, okay, I'm going to go sit down now and we'll see how this unfolds. So I, Right now, I, I give it a borderline no. Well, let me devil's advocate you for a minute. Um, Spock steals the Enterprise to take Captain Pike back to Talos Four, suffers a court martial, and in the end, nothing happens. Nope. He takes, in fact, routinely, Spock takes matters into his own hands all the time. Data? Yet, Data, <laughs> Picard, Kirk. <laughs> Cisco, pretty mm -hmm. much. I th I think we've seen a pattern of of pretty much every Starfleet character in a show. O'Brien, yeah. um, taking matters into their own hands. So, does that does that change your answer? No, just fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but but when I think I I like what you what you say in all of the past iterations of Star Trek. There were, there were, for the most part, no consequences for any of these actions that were taken that were non-Starfleet-like. For her, there are. So I think in terms of the writing of the show and how the characters developed, maybe they didn't think she represented the best in Starfleet because for the first time, we saw a Starfleet officer get sentenced to life in prison for her actions because she wasn't acting in what Starfleet believes in. True, but I, I think it. she may not have always done what Starfleet wants her to do, but I think at her core, she's very Starfleet. I mean, she has the opportunity to kill Gabriel Lorca mm -hmm. and says, I'm not going to kill you today because I am Starfleet. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, uh, it, it, it's a back and forth, I think, with her. I She believes in Starfleet. Absolutely. She she is like Janeway in terms of they are they are the core of her of her existence um, on the ship. But we still see, even with that true belief system in place, she still does things that are non-Starfleet. And 
if I have to look at the very definition of if she represents what we hope for in a Starfleet officer, I guess I'd have to, to say all those other ones that you mentioned maybe don't represent the best in what we want for a Starfleet officer either because we've seen them do those wrong things also. Well, but don't we want them to do the right thing at the right time, even if it's against orders necessarily? Don't we want them to know when an order maybe should be disobeyed to do the right thing for a species or a planet, or in this case, uh, a war? It's a very difficult debate. It is. Because yes, but at the same time, chain of command is in there for a reason. And if we have people disobeying orders, then then it just breaks down into anarchy. Well, but let's look at when she threatens the mutiny a second time against <laughs> against Cornwell to prevent the genocide of the Klingons. Starfleet Command is committed to wiping out the Klingons and mm-hmm. by dropping a bomb at the, at the center of, of the, the planetary core. Um, and her second mutiny is what saves the Klingon people and ends the war. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can think of no other Starfleet behavior than that. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you, well, but I think that there are times where the greater good is, is absolutely what she has in mind, even though she doesn't necessarily execute the plan the right way. Yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. You know, the, her, her beliefs in, in saving lives instead of ending lives is the core Starfleet belief. Um, it's sometimes that the actions that she took or takes are not Starfleet. So it's, 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 it's a tough one to juggle. It It really is. It really is. Thanks for bringing it up, jerk. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to, we're going to wrap up our, our discussion of Michael Burnham, because I know that uh, we have a clock this morning and we're, we're both pressed for time. Um, So I'm going to ask you this question. Um, And uh, it's not one we've discussed in advanced, but Mm -hmm. I, I think it's one that, that is worth considering and it's this why is michael burnham important in star trek particularly now dan particularly now if i look at 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 what's going on present day uh i seem to i believe that over the course of the last half decade things have deteriorated in in core beliefs for for not only Americans but for all humanity and and how people are are treated and represented um, especially um, those um, of color and those of different uh, religion or or belief systems um, and it's important that Michael is being represented the way that she is in Star Trek because it gives us that hope that we always talk about and always want us, you know, Gene's vision. And I hate that term so much, but the vision of the future of one that's being all inclusive is so very important, especially now when we see what's going on in today's world. So to see an African American in this position in Star Trek and a female all of the things that people always, for some reason, seem to have issues with in today's world doesn't happen with this character. And I think that's immensely important as we move forward. You know, I think you summed it up perfectly when you said hope. You know, Star Trek has always been about hope um, for, for a better tomorrow, for a better humanity, that, that we evolve to be more than what we are. And I think that, that Michael Burnham best embodies this hope. She's not perfect, but no human is. And I think that this portrayal now in this time gives us all the reason to hope that, that not only Star Trek is in good hands, but maybe our future gets a little closer to the one we want. So 
Um, there's so much to talk about with Michael Burnham. I'm sure it's not the last time we're going to visit this character, um, either here or on discovering Trek. And, uh, we look forward to your thoughts on Michael Burnham. Please send them to us on, on social media or, uh, contact us through the website. Cause, um, it's a discussion we'd love to have. Dan, something else we'd love to have is all the music of five year mission on the show. So good to have Fark on here for that special announcement regarding wow. five year mission, the podcast on the Trek Boom. Geeks network. Very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is he going to do Danisms? I guess you'll have to wait and see, won't you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. As you prepare for Five Year Mission, the podcast, go to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums, um, become a huge fan because we guarantee you that's going to happen. We hear from people all the time and said, oh, I, I went out and I bought Five Year Mission albums. And uh, you're right. They're awesome. They are awesome. Go get their tunes. You know what else is awesome? Your face? In addition to that? Oh, no. Farkisms are awesome, Bill. No. Yeah, they are. So, you know, it's not often that you have a group of people referenced in multiple Star Trek series. And in addition to that, have a two-part episode named specifically after them. But that's what happened here, folks. You know, the Federation band members rejected a record deal with a Cardassian music label. And they took matters into their own hands. And they form their own terrorist group. It's a great episode. We get to see them later on in Deep Space Nine and then again in Voyager. But this two-parter deals with the roots of that organization that we came to know oh so well. And I am talking about, of course, Bill, the Farky. The, oh. Yes. They're, um, they just they couldn't, they couldn't sign with that Kardashian music la- label. And um, so, yeah, they became a terrorist organization and their leader poisoned a planet and, and all just because of a few notes it's the far key it's- i'm ready to poison a planet hopefully it's the one you're on <laughs> wow that was far- just brutal far key aren't they all though that's fiveyearmission.net uh please listen to all their music and we hope you look forward to their podcast as we do here at Trek Geeks. Of course, Dan, don't forget, you can support the entire Trek Geeks Network and podcast by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content not available anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets and even get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, including the forthcoming five-year mission one, along with so many other perks, my friend. Perks are good. Lots of perks. Um, we would also like to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious podcast man himself, Andy Fark. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Dan, you referenced Voyager and your pathetic Farkism just a minute ago, (laughs) and it just so happens we're going to focus on our favorite ship stranded in the Delta Quadrant next week. Pathetic? Pathetic. 
Wow, I thought it was amazing myself. Yeah, of but course indeed, you did. <laughs> That's why you wrote it that way. <laughs> indeed, we are going to visit Voyager next week, Bill. This is a great episode. Crew members find a holodeck program called Insurrection Alpha, which depicts Seska, who I couldn't stand, and Chakotay leading a Farki. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A, mar- a Maki. Sorry about that. You can't even that. say the word. A Maki mutiny aboard the ship. Uh, but with, as any holodeck episode... Things don't go as planned when the uh, entire ship is put at risk. So we're going to deep dive into this great Season 3 episode, Bill. Worst case scenario. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship for the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And of course, remember, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out our other podcasts available on the Trek Geeks Network by going to trekgeeks.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 182 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. Wow, that's it? <laughs> I, I just, I'm just, I'm ready to go have breakfast. See, you're, you're pathetic all around today. Coconut, coconut, town, town, joy, joy. <laughs> groovy, groovy, town, town, coconut. Groovy, groovy, town, town, coconut, coconut. Groovy, groovy, town, town. Uh-uh. Groovy, coconut. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong, bing bong, bing bong, groovy groovy town town. What? <laughs> so we're still on groovy groovy town town. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Okay, that was the last one. It's out of my system now. Just immediately before this, um, uh, Dan dropped that on the mic. The groovy groovy town town, and I then it apparently doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't. It just comes from my empty cobweb infested head. That's the most accurate description of your brain function I've ever heard. I'm not afraid to admit it. I had weird dreams last night. Really? Yeah. First of all, this is probably why it happened. So did you see the story on Twitter about the graves in Thailand? No. The cemetery in Thailand, and they took video yesterday morning. All the graves had been broken open, and there were no bodies in any of them. Very strange. Very Sounds like a Netflix series. Yeah. And so I had a dream last night that I was flying overseas to, I think, Thailand. And my orders from whatever secret mission I was doing was in my suitcase along with my passport, my money, my clothes, everything. And we got to Thailand. I went through customs. I went to a room and I lost my luggage. And I spent the rest of my dream frantically trying to search for it. So I'm tired. I have so many questions. (laughs) Uh, The first of which is, uh, when do stewardesses go on secret missions? Flight attendant. (laughs) (laughs) and i say that jokingly because dan was a flight attendant at one point in his life yes um second of which um who would have sent you on a secret mission the omega sector the last line of defense what is that that's from true lies baby (laughs) the movie true lies oh no i I got it and you know who stars in that don't you (laughs) jamie lee curtis yeah <laughs> yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis is in that movie and she true lies. Tom Arnold. Harry Stamper. Well, no, wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Arnold. <laughs>
Tom Arnold was fantastic in that movie. He was so funny. He was like the Jeff Daniels from Dumb and Dumber. The big big name was was not as funny as the secondary actor in the movie. It was awesome. Bill, was awesome. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton was good in that too. Rest his soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's sad. Eliza Dushku. What? Yes, yes, very much. I'm going to so. go through everybody who's in this movie. That's who's right. not named Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, we're going to go right through the front door. <laughs> <laughs> See now, I just keep expecting you to speak in Arnold, and when he stop, stop it's cheering me up. Sorry, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's disappointing when you actually stop talking like Arnold because then you sound like you again. Wow, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was is the image on your camera froze and your eyes were closed like like this, and then I heard, "Wow, that hurts." That's going to be my galt look for a lot of my pictures. And so. For those who, who may not be in Camp Kittimer, one, you really should be. But yes. two, Dan posted a photo of uh, his costume so far, including his, his galt collar and the uh, the backing for his cloak. And it just looks stellar. It's going to be so awesome. Thanks, dude. I am so excited on how this whole thing is coming out. I've never done cosplay before like this where I've actually had to make something. So to be able to get that material to make the, the backing for the cloak and and the badge that he wears in front with the Triskelion logo, I'm like, oh, this is going to be wreck. But I got to say, thankfully, YouTube videos really explain how to do stuff well. And I'm very excited how this is going to look. It's it's going to be freaking awesome. I cannot wait. And I'm going to, whenever we take pictures, I'm going to have t- people take picture for me on my phone so I get all of them also. And I'm going to put a special effect of my eyes glowing like Galt did. Um, for all of those pictures, and I'll post them to Twitter after the fact. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Now, now I know you weren't going to do this, and I'm going to implore you to do this. I'm going to ask our listeners to beg you to do this. Please wear something under your cloak. I know I will, you were going to go no, be a Scottish. No. I know you're planning on airing it out, but uh, for the love of all that's Trekness, um, no. please, please wear something under your cloak. That was a dirty rumor spread by Casey. Uh, I will not be commando under my cloak. I will have a um, G-string and tank top on. Yes. No, we need no. more than that. So, <laughs> no. so please hit him, on Twitter at, hit him on Twitter at Trek Geek Dan. <laughs> please tell him that he needs to wear something substantive. I will have a pair. I actually, I actually already know what I'll be wearing. I'll be wearing a pair of black shorts and a Star Trek Continues all black t-shirt. I'm Great. not buying that for a second. Okay. I know I've you. Already, I've already got it set aside. Yeah, that doesn't mean you're going to actually put it on. Oh, I, I know you. Absolutely. Oh, it's, I will say it's going to be hot under that cloak because it's Brooke did a fantastic job with it, it, but it's heavy. So I'm I'm looking for the air conditioning that day. I'll tell you that. At Trek Geek Dan. Okay, you ready to do this? <laughs> I'm always ready. You ready? I'm I'm the one running the show. Of course, I'm ready. Groovy, groovy, ta, ta. Oh, jeez. 